Yeah, welcome back to the Nigeria Filmmaker, a podcast for us to talk about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how it can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selegot. On this episode, my guest is Jeremy Mbu. He's a director and producer. He has also worked in the art department on several international productions. We talk about his move to Nigeria to make films, spiritual fiction, and his latest projects. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi Jeremy, you're welcome to the Ninja Filmmaker. Hi Salah. How are you doing? I'm alright. Okay, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Jeremy Mbu and I work in the film industry. Okay, what do you do in the film industry? Between working in the art departments, producing, and now going into making my first film. Okay. All right, so can you tell us about how you started in filmmaking? My introduction to filmmaking was through... um, Oh, an advert. Yeah, I was in university. Trying, studying advertising, then knew I wanted to move into filmmaking. So I just saw a advert looking to be a PA for a feature-length film. And so that was my first move into the film space. And then from there, I left the program I was in, made a short film, and then transferred to a film, used that to transfer to a film school. Uh, School of Visual Arts in New York, and yeah, that was the start. Okay, so um, what did you do at the School of Visual Arts? So, School of Visual Arts in the film program, uh, I was so the first year. You sort of like a very general course, and then after that, you specialize in whichever field you want to go into. So, I was specializing in cinematography, but uh, I realized that you learn more well i had learned more from being on set than in classrooms and they sort of encouraged that attitude as well but as a international student it was very difficult to get onto film sets legally so even though i was getting the opportunities to you know pa here assist the grip department here uh Every time it would come to actually getting the job, I wasn't able to get it because of an international student. They make the restrictions on your work very well, strict. So after like a year in uh, that school, I moved to London where I was able to work legally. Um, so yeah, then went to London and then started working in a production company. Uh, well, production now is called Alva Studios. And I was there for two years. Okay. So, um, for this year, um, course in New York, mm-hmm. was it mostly theoretical or the, the practical bits of it? It was very, the class was really very practical, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, they really focused on teaching you how to teach yourself. And I still feel, even though I was only there for a year, it was by far the most useful year I've had in school. Um, it was because of this school that even the 
like it was a professor that told me that I should leave because they understood that you learn more from being on set, not from reading a book. So, uh, for in that school, I've, they so, there was sort of this attitude that the real graduation is if you're able to drop out of school because you can, because you have yeah, because you can, because you already have you know a job lined up or you have this lined up. So it was very very practical. Um, so the first year was just learning the foundations. You're making uh, all your assignments were always either a short film or either an experiment, you know, make a film with no dialogue, just so you're learning about the visual language. Um, and yeah, I really appreciated the foundational exercises that they had. Okay. And how do you say, like doing these exercises help, help your general understanding of film? Um, they definitely do. Cause you think of all the different ways you're able to communicate so yeah for example one of the assignments was make a film without any dialogue so all your and when you're taking when you have things taken away you sort of have to be more creative within the smaller sets of you know uh coloring tools you're giving so it's sort of it's like charlie chapman you know so during that assignment people we were watching a lot of charlie chapman and older Hollywood and just seeing how much visual communication you can do through body language, through cinematography, through moving the camera. Um, so I felt it was very helpful and like the way a blind person, you know, has better uh, hearing than most people. So it was really those sort of exercises where you're not trying to make a film, you know, you're not trying to rush to make a film to, you know, show it to people or to upload it here or to submit it here. You're just practicing. And I really value just that doing things for the sake of practicing and getting better, not always trying to make a finished product. Okay. So um, you said you moved to London. So were you just like um, working on film sets or you were doing other things? So the main... So when I moved to London, I enrolled back into... A film program but it was more theoretical at um SOAS whilst doing that I was my main weekly thing was um working in a production house that was pretty much just two massive empty studios that various clients would come in to either use it for films use it for commercials use it for photo shoots um so I was working there assisting the it was quite flexible you'd either assist the like art department or you'd assist the light department or you'd assist however wh whoever the client was you would just be able to fill in and help where you can and through there I was able to meet a lot of people and from there I would then work on branch out from working in the art mainly art department because that's just where uh, I don't know that's just sort of where I was enjoying at the time so f from working in the studios branching out to doing uh, helping with the art departments from theater to fashion films to commercials uh, and then some small indie films so yeah I was just balancing my time between that studio job school and then the one-off gigs here and there okay so um, what was the most exciting project you worked on when you were um, interning at that studio okay well I would say a, a commercial for um, Virgin, the air, airplane company. 
Um, so it was just getting the opportunity to build or you know work on a team as you're building the makeshift not an airplane but you're just building the window the, the window view and so being able to work like I mean it was quite comfortable we're inside a nice air-conditioned studio for 18 hours but it was really great to be able to work like 18 hour days uh, with a great team and once you're very like plugged in and uh, the team has like a good camaraderie it makes the time go by much faster so it makes 18 hours you know not seem so grueling but then after that project was done getting to see that commercial like right next to my house like getting to see the final product right next to my house was really quite rewarding just to see the whole what it takes to you know you see the billboard but you don't see the you know 50 hours that go into making the commercial behind the billboard Okay, so is this a video commercial? Or? No, this one was a... Well, they took videos and they took stills as well. So I saw the... It was in the billboard that I saw the final product. I never actually saw the video of it, but they took stills. They took uh, video as well. Okay, and was this a soundstage or just a studio? Just a studio. Because okay. all the sound was was a voiceover and mainly like music dubbed. So it wasn't a soundstage. Okay. It was just like a big white cove. And then after every after every client, we'd have to spend like a bunch of hours, well, a whole night pretty much painting, repainting the whole, repainting the whole cove um, each time after every client. Yeah. You talked about um, working in the art department. Can mm. you run us through what that entails? Okay. So there's different types. So let's take if it's a commercial. So let's take this. Um, Okay, another Christmas commercial that um, for the lingerie line uh, was it Coco de Mure. We were trying to do it was like a twelve days of Christmas thing, so we had to build a um, a dining room set with the you know the Christmas feast there. So it started with building flats, which are instead of building a whole room or renting a room from a in a house, you would just build three walls out of a wood, paint the walls whatever co color you want and then stand them up and have them stand behind, um, you know, have them stable. So it's three walls and that would be the, sorry, four walls because you have the three walls standing and then you have the one wall that creates the floor okay. that you put underneath. And that way you can have, you know, the walls aren't all the way high so that you can have lights coming from outside the three walls into the shining into the room so that was there then that was one half of it the other half of it would be the props and the set decor so that would be renting the chairs renting the uh furniture the carpets um the chandeliers that was always kind of dangerous the lamps all the practical stuff so that was going to prop houses um occasionally asking for some certain people if it's a very specific thing you're after and then yeah those are those are mainly the two aspects of the art department that i worked in but these were like teams of i would say between five to ten people so you were never doing everything everything was all delegated out so you'd only be doing one thing okay and then it's to be on this is all before this is all the days leading up to the shoot and then on the actual day you just have to be on hand sort of like a um 
the guys, the people who catch the tennis balls in the tennis game, like, whilst the director's there, you have to be ready to, like, he'll just yell, all oh, the chair needs to be moved to the back. So you'd run on the set, move the chair, run off, wait for the next thing. Oh, the, uh, you know, the lamp, uh, the color on the lamp is too dark. So you have to run, take off the lamp, move it, get another one. So, yeah, those are the, between the pre-production and then being on hands during the actual shooting to move things around. Okay, so what what can you say about um, you know your general demeanor on set, like with the discipline, with how you had to kind of comport yourself? Yeah, because there's no uh, there's no set guide. You sort of know what your I mean, you're within a department. And you have to be able to see where things need to be, what needs to be looked after, what needs to be taken care of because there's no one that's going to be telling you what you have to do but you see that like if you're just standing around like you should never just be standing still unless the camera is rolling because there's always something that needs to be done so it was just sort of to figure out like if you know you're in the art department and you're watching a set you're always looking at the sets to make sure that everything is to make sure that everything is in line are the you know if they're in between shots, you see that one of the grapes in the bowl is um, spoiled, so you have to remove that grape. So it's always just keeping your mind active and knowing that you're in responsible for these certain things. Um, and so, yeah, working in a studio was sort of a, it was definitely a privilege, but it also it's very different than working in a on a film set, independent set, which is where you're in usually like someone's house or you're outside. In a studio, it's a very restricted, confined area, so it's much easier to work because you can just focus on your one thing. Um, and working under somebody who is able to um, uh, delegate tasks out, so you know that you're on, you're responsible for one or two things, and just being able to help out and other people on other people's tasks when necessary. Yeah. So can you talk about? Um the time that you worked on independent films yeah so i wish i could remember the name of this film but anyway so it was a period piece about jamaican um about jamaica it was night in 1960s london about jamaicans first the wind well yeah it was the wind rush generation so it was about the first generation of jamaicans who came uh to not the first but one of the generations of jamaicans that came to london and about sort of like the racism they felt and the the story was pretty much a husband comes to jamaica from jamaica comes to london he's been there for a while then his wife is coming over after him and just about his expectations and how they dealt with that so that was we rented a old block an old um apartment block in london and well in the outskirts of london and it was getting all the wallpaper getting the right wallpaper so that one was doing a lot of research which i enjoyed because it's my favorite aspect so doing a lot of research getting the right wallpapers getting the right carpets getting the right costumes uh it was a bit easier well it's quite easier in london because there was a strong vintage culture so get, getting the right pieces for that um, building the studios, I mean, building the rooms, um, like one aspect of the art department was when we're trying to shoot 
one of the beds was too low so we had to figure out how to raise the bed in like 10 minutes so just being able to be that's on hands all the time and having being able to think quickly and make quick solutions to pro um, problems that could be very expensive or very cheap if you're able to you know uh if you're able to think fast on your feet because like for the with the bed for example it could have been oh the bed's too short we need another bed or it could have been or what we ended up using is obviously just putting apple boxes underneath the bed so that we could raise it okay you talked about working on a netflix production hmm. um how was that for you so that was yeah the show was called um the characters it was a episodical uh comedy sketch comedy show so every episode was a different s uh skit so in the art department that was a lot of work because it was building i mean a lot of yeah a lot of different sets that would only be used once so that was probably the biggest production that i've worked on so in that one i was mainly uh, responsible for creating graphics so for example one of the skits was set into a was a concert so i had to create all the graphics that would go on the wall uh as the audience walked through the concert graphic i a concert um hall and that was an interesting experience because you learn how much they pay attention to every single every single detail like there's no there's no what there's no blank walls there's no if there's a wall there should be something on it to you know show the audience where where, where they are um and yeah that one was mainly and initially it was like two months of pre-production then one month um on set but that was mainly preparing all the graphics for the and then handing them off to the set decorator so that one was mainly offset not on set um but it was just interesting to see the full not even the full mechanism uh, mechanism of it because mine was just within the art department of like 20 25 people yeah okay so um you were you were doing this and you were also like in school part-time yeah um can i talk more about the course you're studying um yeah so the netflix one when i was doing the netflix one that was during the and i got that through the school that was during the summer in between uh years uh so the school in new york school of visual arts is very practical and i went to london it was in this program in so is called global screen arts uh and it was very theoretical which i enjoyed to an extent it was sort of analyzing politics through the lens of cinema um so for example looking at the rwandan genocide and uh hotel rwanda and um sometime in april so it was just researching about you know the hutus and the Tutsis and their whole colonial history and the history before that and then coming back to seeing how all those things manifest themselves in cinema um and that's sort of where i got by it piqued my interest in mainly uh iranian cinema and um like Kara Strami is like uh, a taste of cherry and um Mark Mabek and just analyzing cultures or not analyzing but being able to look at cultures through their cinema and through their politics and seeing how some films from a particular area era a lot speak you know 
a lot about the current times that they were made in. Okay, so um, I guess you've watched a lot of Nigerian movies. Absolutely not. I've watched very few Nigerian movies. How many do you think? <laughs> um, definitely not. I haven't finished more than 10. So since you in school, you were able to analyze um, like cultures and I, I guess their politics through the yeah. movies. From what you have seen of Nigeria, what have you learned? Um, well, to be honest, we had a course, uh, not a course, but within the course, we were talking about Nollywood and I uh, opted out for it because I was more personally I'd rather like speak about uh, movies from Senegal from Senegal because that was sort of my um, director Usman Semben and like watching his films a particular film called um, Hala which is sort of about a uh, a minister so someone in the you know political elites experiencing erectile dysfunction and just analyzing Senegalese culture and at the time they pulled their post-colonial history um, I didn't focus on Nigeria because to be honest I am not really uh, I was trying to become more comfortable with the Nollywood style of filmmaking but um, I, I just found the production value quite off-putting so I didn't really want I wasn't going to accept something that I'd watch in a Nollywood movie that I wouldn't accept coming from any other country just because Nigeria is my country. So I didn't really focus on Nigeria because I didn't find the movies. Even though I found the people interest, I mean, the Nigerian, the lived Nigerian experience is way more interesting than I felt the movies are portraying. So I just didn't really focus on Nigeria. Okay. I mean, you are doing these things in London, making some headway. Mm. And then you came to Nigeria. How did you get there? How did you make <laughs> that decision? Um, well, eventually I knew, I feel like with moving back to Nigeria, the longer, the more time you spend outside, the harder it is to move back and to adjust. And I knew that at the end of the day, I wanted to make films about Nigerians. And it just, after a certain point, it just makes more sense to jump in the pool instead of reading books about swimming. So, yeah, yeah I came back to visit for a bit. And then when I came back to visit, I just decided that I would stay. Okay. How is that going? So far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, one, the one thing I learned from other people who had tried before is, uh, if you can, don't move to Lagos. Because... I mean, not if, because well, I grew up in Lagos, but I don't like it at all. Um, so f coming to Abuja, I saw oh, this is a calm place comparatively to Lagos that I'd be able to live and function. Um, so yeah, I think if I had gone to Lagos, I would have left by now. Um, but I live coming to Abuja has been so far quite good. So it's just been trying to adapt to the industry here. Because take, for example, with art departments, every single country has their own ecosystem of how they worked, of how they work, you know. Uh, in New York, you have very specific prop houses. If you want to find a 19th century uh, musket, or not musket, a revolver, you can find it. Um, London has their own 
prop houses. So it's just sort of adapting to the Nigerian filmmaking industry, not style, but filmmaking production here, which is, well, a learning process. Okay. Yeah, when you go back to Nigeria, like within the film industry, what culture shocks did you experience? The speed. Yeah, the speed of the the speed of which things are created, um, was I wouldn't call it a, quite a shock, but it was it was uh, shocking. Um, the speed and the amount. I mean, every film that you expect something to go wrong, and so you just have to learn to adapt. But allowing things, you just have to have sort of faith and chance at, after a certain point because things out of your control will go will go wrong and that aspect is amplified quite extremely in Nigeria. So just sort of leaving, not leaving things a chance, but allowing room for, you can't plan perfectly. So it's just sort of a lot letting go of that sense of control to an extent. Yeah. Okay. Moving back to Nigeria, you know, you didn't see the same, I guess, efforts in the art department mm. so this meant you had to i don't know would i say adjust or kind of grow into something else yeah so what what do you now do in so, the film industry so that from there I was moving into um producing which i hadn't i mean from yeah which i hadn't done before but from being on any side you're just observing other people as well so just trying to bring um, a bit of, uh, yeah, just trying to produce. So sorted out with um, smaller, smaller films, still doing uh, like independent films, and so, yeah, from here mainly been trying to produce for produce for other people. And how is producing in Nigeria? Um. Well, I would say producing in, I can say producing in Abuja because I know it's very different in Lagos. Um, still, I'm still, I'm still experiencing. I'm still trying to learn more and slowly, slowly scale, um, scale up. But as of now, I played it very safe, trying to produce in locations that I know that I have control over, so that you have maximum freedom. So with, you know, producing in houses that I know that I'll have, no one's going to kick me out in five hours. No one's going to call the police on me. No one's going to come and uh, harass the crew. So as of now, I've just been trying to stick to locations and atmospheres where there won't be much, there'll be as little as outside um, disturbances as possible. You know, Nigeria, you... You have your plan, you have your story, and you kind of have an idea of how you want to execute it. But because of, I guess, would I say the infancy of the industry and this, like much of the support not being there, you yeah. always have to um, adjust your plans. Do you feel that's uh, an obstacle or it helps you become more creative? Yeah, I think it's. I like the idea of, I like the bound, I like the um, parameters forcing you to be more creative within what you can do. 
So, for example, the well, I'm currently in the pre-production stage of um, uh, my own first film that I've that I'm producing for myself. Is it a short or feature? It's a. It's we're looking between forty-five minutes to sixty minutes. So it's a long, short, and a short feature. Um, but because the rental equipments for you know cranes and jibs and um dollies aren't there i saw that as an i'm seeing that as a opportunity to f focus the film more on blocking and instead of having the camera moving having the actors within the camp within the frame move around so for that i've been watching a lot of old like Ozu films and Orson Welles and just trying to study the blocking and movement of actors not the camera so I think there's a lot of uh, parameters working within Nigeria and you can either you know stay and complain about them forever because you could or just try to find a way to make it work or try to find a avenue within the blocked way so that's sort of how I'm trying to approach the, uh, yeah, parameters that are faced. Yeah, what have you what have you learned from learning how to block? Was something interesting you've learned? Um, well, for one, it's really a core. Yeah, it's a choreography, and there's just a lot of ways that you can, with people's bodies, that they can talk without. You know, I don't know how accurate it is but the uh you know uh, statistic that 70 percent of our communication is through body language not through verbally so just realizing that trying to be as intentional as possible with everything so if somebody's body is big in the frame um there's a reason for it and just trying to be yeah just trying to be as uh intentional as possible and seeing it sort of as a, like a dance that's really the um, the thing that I've been trying to see more is just seeing things as a dance, the way bodies are coming in and out and seeing the way things, seeing the way bodies flow as in if, uh, yeah, seeing the way bodies just interact with each other as they're moving around and seeing how that creates, tr moves the narrative forward and so yeah, just trying to make sure that every movement is reflective to the story. Okay. As a director, who would you say um, forms like a large influence on the way you're thinking of working? Um, so I really don't know how to pronounce his name well, but... Um, is a Taiwanese director. I believe it's Ho Hao Xian, something along the lines of that. But um, he, there's this, every time I watch one of his movies, it fills me with this sense of stillness afterwards. And so just really, it's not, you know, high drama. It's very calm, very slow. Uh, so him, also Edward Yang, um, who else? Uh, Kurosawa f for the blocking, um, and then my all-time favorite is uh, um, Al uh, 
Alejandro Jodorowsky just for the type of films that he's been able to create and I'm sure there's a hundred more that I'm missing out that I'll remember as soon as I leave but as of now yeah yeah okay and what what kind of stories do you want to tell um well what i'm trying to and i'm it will be a probably a process that will last forever is about i strongly believe that the lived experience of nigerians is really really more dramatic more fascinating and more otherworldly than most movies could ever portray so stories that also highlights the the uh, border between the like physical realm and the spiritual realm however you want to define it is very thin in Nigeria and just trying to I would say spiritual fiction that's the that's the, the genre so that not sci-fi not sci-fi, but spiritual fiction, yeah. Um, but it's a, you know, yeah, a long road ahead, but I'm excited for it. Okay. Do you have a date of when you are looking to go into production for your film? Yeah, the end, last two weeks of June, first week of August, so... July? Sorry, of July, not June. Um, yeah, but I'm trying to take it slow in that I'm not trying to the film is not very dramatic it's quite much of a it's a character study in a sense so trying to allow a lot of room for uh, experimentation and allowing the actors to live with the characters because um, one thing I've seen is that in trying to and obviously there's you know financial reasons and everything but trying to cram a lot well trying to cram a whole film into you know three days or four days of shooting you end up rushing a lot of things and I get you're trying to get to the end of you need you have all these scenes you have to shoot but at what cost because if you know if you spent two more hours with the actors being able to rehearse the scene more then it would be able to it would have come out better so I'm just trying to practice a slower pace in filmmaking okay let's let's go back a bit to um the art department and prop houses mm -hmm. um is this something you think we really need in nigeria well really need is a strong <laughs> a strong a strong word but uh eventually i would think i think they're i think they're quite helpful um if not your renting or just buying things all the time and it's very expensive and I think it would allow for more more room for people because for example if you're trying to furnish but actually you know it's not every country has to adapt for their own to their own ecosystem like Nigeria I feel has a lot more uh, carpenters than um, let's say London or um, New York has so I, you definitely can't just take verbatim the New York uh, production ecosystem and then throw it into Nigeria it has to develop the, a Nigerian one will have to develop um, 
develop on its own. So, yeah, I feel like, especially in Nigerians, we can create a lot more. Like, for example, if you want a specific table, there's very many talented carpenters that you can get that would be able to make the table for you. It's just that it'd be really expensive since you have to buy it instead of renting it. So, I think eventually there'll be a I mean there is a gap for it but eventually it'll be filled I see you're stuck on a desert island mm-hmm. and um, you have to choose one film or one series that you are happy oh, to keep watching over and over, over again and over again I'm stuck on a desert island ooh huh. well Obviously, you'd want a series because you're stuck, but that being said, I'm just, I think uh, I would have to go with um, uh, uh, three t- this movie called um, Three Times it's okay. but that's cool it's, it's currently my favorite movie um, but yeah three who directed times. it? Uh, Hao Hosen well, I'm sure I'm pronouncing the name wrong yeah. yeah but it's called Three Times from 2005 I believe it's yeah that would be my choice okay Nollywood has a long way to go. Um, for you, what do you feel we should be focusing on trying to find a solution for? Filmmaking anywhere in the world is um, is borderline kind of like an abusive relationship. Definitely. You know, um, Nigeria is a different story. Yeah. How can we make our lives easier? Um, it's difficult. Yeah, I can't really speak on behalf of the rest of the industry because I don't know what their I don't know if our desires align but from what you have noticed from what I've noticed I think in just trying to I would just probably say better stories closer to the reality of the lived Nigerian just because I yeah at a certain point I mean if you see film as entertainment but I think film could also be therapeutic and in that can be more helpful to people's lives. So I think in just, yeah, giving the stories more respect and yeah, just sort of telling different stories, well, different stories, but uh, kind of more more grounded stories. Let's say, yeah, um, yeah. Currently, the films are not being true to the vast majority of the country. Yeah, that's just yeah. Yeah. So, um, you said you made the short film sometime. Mm-hmm. Is there somewhere we can watch it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think a lot of uh, I see it now as, as 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 practice. There's there's making films for an audience. There's making films because you're trying to practice. And I've 
made several and that I see them as practicing. I don't think everything it there's already there's too much information in the world, so I'm not I don't see the point in for in adding or if I'm going to add something it's going to be intentional, not and just, different. Uh, ideally, but yeah, not um just because so yeah, you can't watch it. Let's just go back a bit. Like, what do you feel? Um, what do you feel about um, celebrating culture through the arts? So it could be through film, through music. What do you think that does to to people? I think it can create a sense of co. I mean, yeah, a sense of cohesion and like collective belonging and. It can speak to a collective unconsciousness that is maybe felt between, you know, a lot of different people. But until it's been materialized in, you know, a film or a song, that's how it's able to rise to the surface and allows people to feel connected to one another. And I think at the end of the day, that's the point of that's the point of culture in any way is to solidify the bond amongst a group of people um, and they can also be therapeutic and also help you know uh, at least well to be honest to speak for myself my part of the reason well part of my interest in art has always been trying to make people more comfortable with, well not make people more comfortable, but make people comfortable with uh, death. It's, I know it sounds dark, but it's the, uh, it's the one thing that unifies every human being is that everyone's gonna die. Yeah. And I've just found how we, for me that it's been, there's certain, I, there's this one film, uh, it's called Blue by um Derek Jarman, he's a British filmmaker that is probably the singly most to me important thing I've ever seen or impactful thing and it was pretty much this diary of a man dying of AIDS and it's this you're reading his diary notes and it's a beautiful soundtrack and the whole screen the whole movie is just a blue screen but it just um it allows it, it allows for a sense of self-reflection that is necessary well not necessary but helpful in life so yeah culture can be very therapeutic and helping you through getting us through this weird thing called life yeah and i think um yeah it's be particularly useful for us nigerians because even within our culture like a lot of cracks are showing up a lot a lot yeah a lot of cracks and so how we are well um, who knows where this country will be in <laughs> in, in 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 five years but you know i don't really uh not that i believe that i don't believe that art can change the world per se like i don't i think that's sort of a self-deception yeah but on an individual level all it can do is yeah impact people you know the uh, you know the best movie will just make you 
or the most movie will just give you a moment of self-reflection and it only happens on an individual level it's not going to create some grand some grand change but all you do is the little bit you can yeah okay so where can people kind of keep up with your work uh, <laughs> social media I, I, I would like to say they can't <laughs> um, so when, if, when you're ready you let yeah, us know it'll, if it'll come to you whenever it's meant to <laughs> okay um, yeah, thanks Jeremy for coming on the podcast thanks for having me We have come to the end of this episode. Please remember to leave a rating and a review. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Selegal Film and the podcast also on Instagram and Twitter at the Niger Film Pod. See you on the next episode. Have a good one. <laughs>